0: part one chapter four of war and peace by leo tolstoy translated by nathan haskell doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by marianne anna pavlovna smiled and promised to look out for pierre who was as she knew on his father's side related to prince vasili the elderly lady who had been sitting near montante jumped up hastily and followed prince vasili into the entry Her face lost all its former pretense of interest. Her kind, tear-worn face expressed only anxiety and alarm. "'What can you tell me, Prince, about my Boris?' she said, as she followed him. She pronounced the name Boris, with the accent on the first syllable. "'I cannot stay any longer in Petersburg. Tell me what tidings I can take to my poor boy.' Although Prince Vasily's manner in listening to the old lady was reluctant and almost uncivil, and even showed impatience, still she gave him a flattering and affectionate smile, and took his arm to detain him. "'What would it cost you to say a word to the emperor, and then he would be at once admitted to the guards?' she added. "'Be assured that I will do all I can, princess,' replied Prince Vasily. "'But it is not easy for me to ask His Majesty. I should advise you to appeal to Romyatschoff, through Prince Golitsyn. That would be a wiser move.' The elderly lady bore the name of the princess drubetskaya belonging to one of the best families in russia but as she was poor and had long been living in retirement she had lost her former social position she was now in petersburg in the hopes of securing the admittance of her only son into the imperial guards merely for the sake of meeting prince vasily she had accepted anna pavlovna's invitation to come to the reception merely for this she had listened to the viscount's story she was dismayed at prince vasili's words her handsome face expressed vexation but this lasted only an instant she smiled once more and clasped prince vasili's arm more firmly listen prince said she i have never asked anything of you and i never shall ask anything of you again and i have never reminded you of the friendship that my father had for you but now i beg of you in god's name do this for my son And I will look upon you as our benefactor. She added hastily, no, don't be angry, but promise me this. I have asked Golitsyn. He refused. Soyez le bon enfant que vous avez été, she said, trying to smile, though the tears were in her eyes. Papa, we shall be late, said the princess ellen, who stood waiting at the door and turned her lovely head on her classic shoulders. Influence in society is a capital which has to be economized, lest it be exhausted. Prince Vasily understood this, and having once come to the conclusion that if he asked favors for everybody who applied to him, it would soon be idle to ask anything for himself, he rarely exerted his influence. The Princess Dubitskaya's last appeal, however, caused him to feel something like a pang of conscience. She had reminded him of the fact that he had owed to her father his early advancement in his career moreover he saw by her actions that she was one of those women notably mothers who having once conceived a notion do not rest until they attain the object of their desires and if opposed are ready with fresh urgencies and even scenes at any day or any moment this last consideration turned the scale with him cher anna mikhailovna said he with his usual familiarity and with a shade of ill-humour in his voice It is almost impossible for me to do what you wish. But in order to show you how fond I am of you, and how much I honor your father's memory, I will do the impossible. Your son shall be admitted to the guards. Here is my hand on it. Are you satisfied? My dear, you are our benefactor. I expected nothing less from you. I knew how kind you were. He started to go. Wait, two words more. In un garde she hesitated. You are good friends with Mikhail Ilarionovich Kutuzov. Do recommend Boris to him as aide-de-camp. Then I should be content. And then—prince Vasily smiled—that I can't promise. You have no idea how Kutuzov has been besieged since he was appointed commander-in-chief. He himself told me that all the ladies of Moscow had offered him all their children as adjutants. No, but you must promise— I will not let you go, my dear friend, my benefactor. Papa, again insisted the beautiful Ellen, in the same tone, we shall be late. Well, au revoir, good-bye, you see? Then to-morrow you will speak to his majesty? Without fail. But I cannot promise about Kutuzov. No, but promise, promise, Basily, insisted Anna Mikhailovna, with a coquettish smile which perhaps in days long gone by, might have been becoming to her, but now ill-suited her haggard face. She evidently forgot her age, and through habit put her confidence in her former feminine resources. But as soon as he was gone, her face again assumed the same expression as before, of pretended cool complacency. She returned to the group where the viscount was still telling stories, and again she made believe listen, though she was anxiously waiting for the time to go, now that her purpose was accomplished. But what do you think of this last comedy, Du Sacre de Milon, asked Anna Pavlovna, and the new comedy of the people of Genoa and Lucia coming to offer their homage to Monsieur Bonaparte sitting on a throne and accepting the homage of nations? Oh, this is delicious. No, it is enough to make one beside oneself. He would think the whole world had gone mad. Prince Andrei looked straight into her face and smiled. God has given me this crown. Beware of touching it, he said. Those were Bonaparte's words. Dume le don, cal a toucher, at his coronation. They say he was very handsome as he pronounced these words, he added, and again repeated them in Italian. Dume du me dons, gie si la touca. I hope, pursued Anna Pavlovna, that this will at last be the drop too much, the Sovereigns cannot longer endure this man, who is a menace to each and every one of them. The Sovereigns? I do not refer to Russia, said the Viscount politely, but in a tone of despair. The Sovereigns, madame. What have they done for Louis the Eighteenth, For the Queen? For Madame Elizabeth? Nothing, he added, becoming animated. And, believe me, they are suffering their punishment for having betrayed the cause of the Bourbons. The Sovereigns... They sent ambassadors to compliment the usurper and with an exclamation of contempt he again changed his position prince hippolyte who had long been contemplating the viscount through his lorgnette, suddenly at these words turned completely round to the little princess and asking her for a needle proceeded to show her what the escotillon of conde was scratching it with the needle on the table he interpreted this coat of arms for her benefit with such a business-like expression that one would have supposed the princess had asked him to do it for her. baton de Jeuil, on de Jeuil d'Azur, en compte, he said. The princess listened with a smile. If Bonaparte remains a year longer on the throne of France, things will have gone quite too far, said the Viscount, still pursuing the same line of conversation, like a man, who without regard to the opinions of others— and considering himself the best informed on any given subject insists on following the lead of his own thoughts by intrigue violence proscriptions and capital punishment society i mean good society french society will be utterly destroyed and then he shrugged his shoulders and spread open his hands pierre was about to put in a word the conversation interested him but anna pavlovna who was on the watch broke in The Emperor Alexander, said she, with a melancholy which always accompanied any reference to the imperial family, has declared that he will leave it to the French themselves to choose their own form of government, and it is my opinion that unquestionably the whole nation, when once freed from the usurper, will throw itself into the arms of its rightful king, said she, striving to say something flattering to the émigré and royalist. That is doubtful, said Prince André. M. le Vicomte is perfectly right when he remarks that things have already gone too far. I think that there are many difficulties in the way of returning to the old. I have recently heard, remarked Pierre, again with a flushed face, venturing to take part in the conversation, that almost all the nobility have gone over to Bonaparte. That is what the Bonapartists say, replied the Viscount, not looking at Pierre. It is hard nowadays to know what the public opinion of France really is bonaparte said so sneered prince Andre. it was evident that the viscount did not please him and also that the latter though without especially addressing him directed all his remarks in his direction i have showed them the path of glory he went on after a moment's silence again quoting napoleon's words and they would not enter it i opened my antechambers to them and they rushed in in throngs I know how far he was justified in saying that. Not in the least, said the viscount. After the assassination of the duke, even the most partial ceased to look on him as a hero. Even if he has been a hero for certain people, continued the viscount, turning to Anna Pavlovna, since the assassination of the duke, there is one martyr more in heaven, and one hero less on earth. Anna Pavlovna and the others had not time to reward the viscount with a smile of approval for his words, before Pierre again rushed into the conversation, and Anna Pavlovna, though she had a presentiment that he would say something indecorous, was unable to restrain him. "'The punishment of the Duc d'Angéon,' said Monsieur Pierre, "'was a political necessity, and I for one regard it as magnanimity in Napoleon, not hesitating to assume the sole responsibility of this act.' "'Dieu! Mon Dieu!' exclaimed Anna Pavlovna, in a whisper of dismay. "'What? Monsieur Pierre, you see magnanimity in assassination?' said the little princess, smiling and moving her work nearer to her. "'Ah! Oh!' said a number of different voices. "'Capital!' said Prince Ippolit, in English, and he began to slap his knee with his hand. The viscount merely shrugged his shoulders. Pierre looked triumphantly at the company over his spectacles. I say this, he went on to explain, in a sort of desperation. Because the Bourbons fled from the revolution, leaving their people a prey to anarchy. And it was Napoleon alone who was able to understand the revolution, to conquer it, and consequently, when the good of all was in the balance, he could not hesitate before the life of a single individual. Don't you want to come over to this table? suggested Anna Pavlovna. But Pierre, without heeding her, went on with his discourse. No, said he, growing more and more excited. Napoleon is great because he stands superior to the revolution, because he has crushed out its abuses, preserved all that was good, the equality of citizens, and freedom of speech, and the press, and that was the only way that he gained the power. Yes, if when he gained the power instead of using it for assassination he had restored it to the legitimate king said the viscount then i should have called him a great man but he could not do that the power was granted him by the people solely that he might deliver them from the bourbons and because they saw that he was a great man the revolution was a mighty fact continued Monsieur pierre betraying by this desperate and forced proposition his extreme youth and his propensity to speak out whatever was in his mind. Revolution! And regicide! Mighty facts! After this! But will you not come over to this table? insisted Anna Pavlovna. Rousseau's Contra Sociale suggested the Viscount, with a benign smile. I am not talking about regicide. I am talking about the idea. Yes, the idea of pillage, assassination, and regicide suggested an ironical voice. Those are the extremes, of course, and the real significance is not in such things, but in the rights of man in emancipation from prejudices, in equality of citizenship, and all these principles Napoleon has preserved in all their integrity. Liberty and equality, exclaimed the viscount, scornfully, as though he had at last made up his mind seriously to prove to this young man all the foolishness of his arguments all high-sounding words, which long ago were shown to be dangerous. Who does not love liberty and equality? Our Saviour himself preached liberty and equality. But after the Revolution, were men any better off? On the contrary. We wanted freedom, and Bonaparte has destroyed it. Prince André, with a smile on his face, looked now at Pierre, now at the Viscount, and now at the hostess. During the first instant of Pierre's outbreak, Anna Pavlovna was appalled, notwithstanding her experience in society. But when she saw that Pierre's sacrilegious utterances did not make the Viscount lose his temper, and when she became convinced that it was impossible to check him, she collected her forces, and taking the Viscount's side, she attacked the young orator. Mais, mon cher, monsieur Pierre, said Anna Pavlovna, how can you call a man great who can put to death a duke? simply a man, when you come to analyze it, without trial and without cause. I should like to ask, said the viscount, how monsieur explains the 18th Brumaire. Was it not a fraud? It was a piece of trickery wholly unlike what a great man could have done. And the prisoners of Africa, whom he killed, suggested the little princess, that was horrible, and she shrugged her shoulders. C'est a rotelier, vous a rebodier. Monsieur Pierre did not know which one to answer. He looked at them all, and smiled. His smile was unlike other men's, falsely compounded of seriousness. Whenever a smile came on his face, then suddenly, like a flash, all the serious and even stern expression vanished, and in its place came another, genial, frank, and like that of a child asking forgiveness. The Viscount, who had never seen this young Jacobin before— recognized clearly that he was not nearly as terrible as his words all were silent how can you expect him to answer all of you at once said prince andrei besides in all the actions of a statesman one must distinguish the actions of a private individual a general or an emperor it seems to me so yes yes of course put in pierre delighted at this ratification of his ideas it is impossible not to acknowledge pursued prince andrei that napoleon was great as a man on the bridge at arcola or in the hospital at jaffa when he shook hands with the plague-stricken soldiers but but there are other actions of his which it is hard to justify prince andrei who had evidently been desirous of smoothing over pierre's awkwardness got up with the intention of leaving and giving his wife the hint suddenly prince ippolet arose and with a gesture of his hand, detaining the company and begging them to be seated, he went on to say, "Ah, aujourd'hui on me raconte un anecdote moscovite charmante. Il faut que vous en regale. Vous m'excuserez, Vicomte. Il faut que je raconte en russe. Autrement, on y per And Prince Hippolyte began to speak in Russian with much the same fluency as Frenchmen. Who have spent a year in russia usually attain all stopped to listen because prince Ippolette had been so strenuously urgent in attracting their attention to his story in moscow there is a lady une dame and she is very miserly she has to have two valets de play behind her carriage and very tall ones that was her hobby and she had une femme de chambre was also very tall she said here prince Ippolette paused to think evidently at a loss to collect his wits she said yes she said girl a la femme de chambre put on livery and go with me behind my carriage faire des visites here prince ippolit burst out into a regular guffaw and his laugh so completely failed to be echoed by his hearers that it produced a very disheartening effect upon the narrator however a few including the elderly lady and anna pavlovna smiled She drove off. Suddenly a strong wind blew up. The girl lost her hat, and her long hair came down. Here he could not hold in any longer, but through his bursts of broken laughter he managed to say these words. And everyone knew about it. That was the end of the anecdote. Although it was incomprehensible why he told it, and why he felt called upon to tell it in Russian rather than French, still Anna Pavlovna and the others— appreciated Prince Ippolette's cleverness in so agreeably putting an end to Monsieur Pierre's disagreeable and stupid freak. The company, after the anecdote, broke up into little groups, busily engaged in the insignificant small talk about some ball that had been, or some ball that was to be, or the theatre, or when and where they should meet again. End of chapter 4